Hello and welcome back to our daily devotion podcast. <clears throat> Today we want to t- talk about the two faces of power. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 28. Let us pray. Father, speak to us the truths in your word. That as we understand your word, it may shape our minds and our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 28. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day he be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The disciples had journeyed with Jesus for quite some time now. They had seen his miracles, they had heard his teaching, They were close to him. And yet Jesus needed them to know who they really were walking with. And so he began to ask them, Who do people say that I am? I'm sure this was just a leading question to the real question that needed an answer. But he asked them first, Who do do people say that I am? And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked the question that really mattered to his disciples. But who do you say that I am? Well, the Bible says that Peter answered, but perhaps there was a silence. So people tried to grapple with the impact of what Jesus has asked. Who do you think that I am? You see, it's one thing to believe that the person that you have befriended, the person you've walked with was a great man, He was a servant, a prophet. He was one of the greatest of prophets. 
And that was quite obvious by the things he did and the things he said. But a prophet is still a human being. A prophet is still a man. He's still a servant of God. But they were not walking. They were not befriended by a prophet, a mere human. They were befriended by God himself, the son of the living God. By nature, Jesus then being the son, had exactly the same nature, the same power as God the Father. What was more, he wasn't just God himself, but he was sent to earth with an agenda to be the Messiah, to save the people, to set the people free. This was a quantum leap from believing that one was just walking with a prophet, though that itself was a great thing. But to know that the person in their presence is God himself, whose one agenda was to set people free. This meant, first of all, that there was infinite power, that God himself was with them. But it meant also by the agenda that God wanted to set his people free in every act of Jesus, every miracle he did, every thing, every step that he took, and every word that he taught, everything that he taught, was to set people free. It had a great, far greater importance than just walking with a prophet who heard from God. This was God himself speaking to them. And so every word that he told them had just one reason, and that was to set people free. That was important, because they were not optional words. Of course they were optional. Jesus always gave them the option. But it meant that the purpose of every teaching that Jesus gave to them was that they might be set free. It also meant that whatever Jesus did, God was setting people free. There was so much power in this. And Jesus said, it could not have come from you, Peter. You could not have imagined such a momentous opportunity. It had to come from God the Father, this knowledge that I am God and that I'm here to set people free, to save people. And then he said, it is on this basis that the church will be built on the basis, on the premise that God is on the earth, that God is with you. And that God's gender is to set people free. It is on this basis the church is built. And the church then will be given the keys, the authority to set people free, to do exactly that which Jesus has done. Pause for a moment to think what this all means to us as the church. That the church has God in it. The power of God, the authority of God. And the church has been given one mandate to set people free, to save people from their sins, from their lives, from the things that they suffer from. I struggle with this very much. Right now, I have a friend who is suffering very serious illness. I have another one who is having regular suicidal thoughts. I have yet another who is contemplating leaving her husband, but then fearful that as she leaves her husband, she'll have no income, she'll have no home, she'll have to leave 
her young, very young son behind. And that troubles her greatly, and she is not in the wrong, because the husband has been physically, has been emotionally abusive to her. And I ask myself, then, what is the role of the church? Where is the power of the church for each of these persons? For one, it is to heal as Jesus healed, set a person free. For another, it is to save a person from suicidal, depressive thoughts and to bring joy and life to that person. Yet to another, a woman in despair, having a husband who has all the power over her, power of finances, power of custody of the child, power of the home, and power of abuse over her. What is she to do? I struggle with these issues very much because I ask myself if our church, if the church is built on the premise that Christ is God and Lord of all, and if the mandate of Christ is to set people free, then what does God do in such situations? I'm sure each of you have encountered or continue to encounter either for yourself or friends who are in situations like these. And we need to grapple with this too. Do we know who we follow? Do we know who our faith, on whom our faith is founded and built upon? If we knew that fully from our hearts, would our confidence in God change? Would our trust in what God calls us to do change? It's something that I need to continuously pray about and seek from God. I believe it is the same for you. That God has given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven to unlock and to lock. The power to set free. But there is a corollary to this power. And it is the worldly power, the power of man. Jesus went on to explain to him, to his disciples, that he would be rejected by the religious people of the day, by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Why these? Why not the common people? I believe it's because it is very alluring that once someone has religious and spiritual power, one also tends to want earthly powers. The elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law were powerful. They purported to have the rules of God, the word of God, the laws of God, the authority of God. And with that authority, they believed that they could rule the people also. They could make people do things for them. They could lord it over the people. With divine power comes also the temptation to have earthly powers. And Jesus, as that Jesus rejected all of that power. To Jesus, there was he did not believe in coercive power. In all his teaching, Jesus taught that his followers and himself be mild, that they turn the other cheek, that they give the coat when their clothes are being robbed. They are being robbed of their clothes. Jesus refused to accept worldly powers, the coercive powers of the world. And when Jesus did that, of course, the elders and the chief priests would persecute him, would want him dead because he was speaking against 
their own desire, their own claim to worldly powers. Peter couldn't see that either. To Peter also, if you had all this power, then surely the elders would share that power with you. And you would be great in the kingdom of Israel. You would be great in the world as well. And note what Jesus said to them then. Be gone, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus saw this temptation as a very huge temptation, a stumbling block even to him. Because to anyone who has God's power, it would be so alluring to take the world's power as well. We see this often in our churches, in Christendom itself, that having received the power of God to set free, we desire also the power of man to coerce, to influence, to lord it over others. And when we refuse this power, the leaders of the faith, the leaders of religion who claim, have claimed worldly powers, will feel threatened, will seek to destroy those who walk with Jesus as well. It is such a great temptation that much of the fight in the spiritual realm will be between those of the kingdom of God, of Christianity, of the church itself, who have claimed for themselves worldly powers to fight against those who refuse worldly powers. But the way of Jesus has always been the gentle way, the way of persuasion, the way of love, the way of compassion. A friend of mine recently told me a story of his experience in school as a teacher. In his class was a girl who was very rebellious and defiant and she was skipping all his classes. He of course applied sanctions to her and some punishment but she did not respond well and she continued to skip his classes. He called her up and asked her if she was, there was anything the matter with her and she, she just said there was nothing wrong but defiantly refused to attend his classes. Of course his natural instinctive response was to apply more punishment to this girl. If she was so defiant, then he would fight her even harder. But something in him told him to respond differently. Instead of applying more punishment to her, he sent, he sent her the notes of the classes that she had missed with a note saying that he was concerned that she would, of how she would take her exams. And so if these notes helped, then he hoped that she would read them and do better in exams. Initially, she did not respond and continued skipping his classes, but he persevered to send her the notes of his classes. And then one day she responded. She admitted that she was wrong in being defiant, that there was no good reason for that, and she was wrong about it. But she said that she was very touched by his gesture of continuing to give her the notes of classes no one had ever done that for her. She, of course, at the end of the conversation, continued that she hated his classes, she hated his subject, and wondered why, when she did slightly better, he would praise her. Once, when she made vast improvements, she continued to fail that subject, but she made vast improvements from a dismal failure to a failure that was close to passing. He praised her and told her that she had done well. Her life was changed because of the kindness of this teacher. 
I believe that this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus that does not continue mercilessly to punish another person, but to show grace and forgiveness when what person deserves is further punishment. Jesus lived a powerful life, a life as God who had all the powers of the universe and his one agenda that was to set people free. And it would be totally against the agenda then to coerce and to bind others once again with his power. Hence it is so wrong, it is the work of the evil one, it is the desires of the human heart to take that power and to demand also coercive power, the power to rule and to lord over others. It go completely goes against what Jesus teaches. Jesus had great power. He rejected human powers to coerce. But in doing so, Jesus knew also that he would suffer greatly from those whom he opposed. And so his warning to his disciples was this, that you will be rejected by people also. And if to preserve your life you were to compromise those principles, if to preserve yourself you would go along to and amass for yourself worldly powers, then you have missed the mark. But the one who wants to wield heavenly powers, godly, divine powers, to heal, to set free, to teach others the way of the easy yoke and the light burdens, these will have to be prepared to pay the price of rejection by others. It's an important challenge to us from Jesus. Who do we think we are following? Are we following the Jesus, God, who sets people free, who also refuses earthly powers? Or do we follow an imitation Jesus who amasses for himself also worldly powers? We need to know the Jesus whom we follow. Jesus, with all his power to heal and to set free, and to cling on to him, to follow him in his ways. Let us pray. Father, we are weak and poor. In the first place, Lord, we don't fully understand that you are the Lord and the foundation of the church. We fail to realize that you, God, are the very rock, bedrock of the faith that we stand upon, and that your agenda is to set people free, to save people. We struggle, Lord, with issues of doubt and confusion and uncertainty. We struggle with knowing how to apply this power and authority which you have given to us to set people free, people so saddled with problems, so tied, so bound by the evil one. We struggle a lot to know this power that 
you have given to us. Help us, Lord, increase our faith, that we may know that we have authority to heal and to set people free, to give hope and joy and life to those who have lost their hope. Father, show us as a church what it means that you are our God and you are with us. The Father, on the other hand, deliver us from the temptation of amassing human power from ourselves also, even as you give us divine power, that we may seek never to lord it over others. We may seek never to assert human authority, human rule, and to lord it over others. But that we may learn it from you, the way of meekness, the way of mercy, the way of peacemaking, the way of lifting burdens and lightening yokes. Teach us your ways, O God, if we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, we will meet again on Sunday. Once again, I encourage you to come whenever you can to our church service because we want to worship God together physically in body. Uh, we now have a capacity for 150. And hey, if you don't know how to book your appointment via Eventbrite, please don't worry about that. Just come anyway and we'll help you with it. Of course, if you can book ahead of time, we really appreciate that. But don't let that stop you from coming to join us in worship. Hope to see you on Sunday. And God bless. Goodbye.